Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Rocketman and I'm happy to be joined for the first time by my friend John Police. John, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. So, John, I, you, I, I made you go on a little bit of a journey in the last week before you did this. Uh, inevitably, Rocket Man, which tells the story of uh, just Elton John's life, but largely focuses on the, uh, the, his 20s when he really kind of blew up and became the star that uh, became, just became a big star because that's when he made a lot of his biggest hits. The movie inevitably drew a lot of comparisons to a big movie from last year, Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, not only because they are both about uh, queer singers that – uh, became massive stars, but also had their struggles, but also because uh, Dexter Fletcher uh, finished directing Bohemian Rhapsody when Brian Singer got kicked off that movie, and he was the director from the beginning on this movie. So inevitably, those movies uh, got just uh, grouped together a lot, and we're going to talk about them in relation to each other, but obviously focus more on Rocket Man because that's what presently is the one that's in theaters and matters a little bit more, and we've done a podcast here on Bohemian Rhapsody before, but uh, I want to first ask you, as someone who I'm sure heard a lot of the discourse around Bohemian Rhapsody uh, just last award season, but kind of put off watching it for your own reasons, which you can detail if you want, but what was your experience like just watching these movies uh, so close back to back? Because I, I, I've, I've, I watched Rocket Man twice in the last week, but haven't seen Bohemian Rhapsody in like three months. So what were your your big overall takeaways having that experience of just like diving in in the last week to both of these movies? Well, I guess, first of all, I would say that Bohemian Rhapsody was a movie that I avoided seeing, I think a little bit because everyone was in such arms about it, up, up in arms about it. Everyone was very upset about the portrayal of his sexuality. They were upset about the cutting. They were upset about Brian Singer, uh, the director who was fired for not showing up to work, but has a lot of allegations about pedophilia. And there's a lot of things there that we don't need to get into. But I kind of avoided it. And watching it, I think my response was more kind of really. Um, I wasn't, I didn't hate it as much as I expected to, but I also didn't really understand some of the love for it. I found Rami Malek to be a little bit flat as of the character. I thought the teeth were acting more than he was. <laughs> so I, it was very interesting. That said, the plots are remarkably similar in terms of facts. I don't know if that's the way they decided to edit together their lives, the way they, the places they end at, the places they like go to. John Reed is a character in both, although one, the lover, one a little more uh, tangential in Bohemian Rhapsody. So I think it's quite fascinating the way that Dexter Fletcher chose doing Rocket Man from the beginning to actually shape the piece, whereas Bohemian Rhapsody, and we'll get into this a little more, I think suffers in some places where it seems, I don't know if they didn't shoot the footage. I don't know if decisions were made by Brian Singer before um, before he took over the project, but there are places where it just doesn't finish a thought in the way that Rocket Man really does. And I think that that creates a lot of really interesting ways that in some ways I think Rocket Man is a lot more complicated, but I also think Bohemian Rhapsody is a lot tighter. I think Bohemian Rhapsody is a lot more rewatchable of a movie if to use that term and like i think it it hits the beats you want it to as an audience yeah you know i think my biggest thing was that i and i i totally agree with you just like on the structure and that even maybe struck me a little more on my second viewing of rocket man where i think the movie spent a a pretty similar amount of time on like just a m amount of runtime on that time before like they actually become music stars and they have similar things in that it's like a very chance by by very chance happenstance that they happen to connect with their bandmates or in the case of elton john his uh, uh his songwriting partner bernie Taupin, like which apparently is pretty close to how that actually happened where he basically just got like 
throw in some papers saying like write some music to this and that's basically how it happened like those guys almost didn't connect which is probably kind of incredible given the amount of uh music they made together just how it almost didn't happen but uh, yeah this is like a very familiar format for a movie and and, and i'm probably with you a little bit on that like i i just thought it was interesting as far as where you came down in bohemian rhapsody because you probably had so many preconceived notions going in just because you probably heard so much talk about it just in the last eight months to just like have that built up to be something in your head i it was almost inevitable it wasn't going to be as bad as you thought because you probably heard so much and I, I i didn't necessarily think the movie was awful awful like i i like parts of it but i just found it very objectionable that it would get the significant amount of oscar love that it got you know like i just didn't think it was it was quite on that level in almost any regard uh so but like my thing is like this is a very familiar format basically with movies and like you know like they they have that amount of time where they come together that's a big star and then the big star like has a drug problem and and then finds some level of redemption in the end so it's probably unavoidable that that is going to be the kind of path that you take uh, in, 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 with but, these movies because that's what a lot of singers go through. And you got to differentiate yourself in some way. And I thought this movie did that in some ways. So I completely agree with you on that. I do think it's very interesting that some of the events you cite, for instance, the way that uh, Bernie and Elton uh, actually get together in Rocket Man are actually relatively faithful to events, as I understand them, but in Bohemian Rhapsody, they're not. Um, the Bohemian Rhapsody portrays the way oh, that right, right, uh, he right. joins the band as being just kind of at a bar. That's the same night he meets Mary, who mm-hmm. he dates for a long time. But in that event, basically, in the show, in Bohemian Rhapsody, the lead singer of the band, and I'm forgetting what it was called, it was a dumb name, but... The lead singer of the band quits and he just goes up and is like, I want to join and like sings three bars of a song of theirs. Mm -hmm. In real life, he was roommates with one of the guys in there. He knew the other like he was hanging out with them for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting that I think the way that Rocketman handles things is a little more authentic. But also, I think the piece is that when I left Rocketman, my first instinct wasn't to go and Google and find out what was true and what wasn't, because I think the way that rocket man tells its story of being a little more fantastical of being a little more of a, like, I actually think it, the best analogy to rocket man is actually something like mama Mia. I think it's really interesting where it uses the songs. They're all from an artist. It's putting together a plot, but really the songs are either, are either like background music for like plot happening that you see visually, or they're just kind of interludes. And it's very interesting the way that when it's that kind of fantastical, like telling, I just wasn't that concerned about was this song written here? Did it fit then? Like, I felt like they almost could have been a little less faithful and I wouldn't have minded. And to be fair on that point, the movie is very generous to Elton John in terms of the way things are portrayed. Obviously he's a producer on the movie, correct? Right. Um, he's well, very involved in the movie. Well, I think that, that's a big thing to talk about, and, I, and I'm glad you jumped into that and kind of or, or at least uh, set me straight a little bit there on just how Queen got together because I think that is a big thing where it's like how, how you judge these movies. You mentioned you, you listened to part of my podcast with my friend Billy on Bohemian Rhapsody, and he kind of broke down some of the ways you want to judge these movies, whether it be by the, the musical performance, the kind of story it tells, but also like just how his, how it manages to deal with history. And I, I, you can't expect any kind of movie about a true story to be like a hundred percent there. Like, but if it's going to fudge some stuff, it should fudge it in the right way. And that was like one of the more objectionable things about Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, like it changes a lot of stuff that's like rather big for not that much reason at all that, or, but, but that's like, like not even the most objectionable thing that they do. It's like when they like actually screw with the timeline of his AIDS diagnosis as like a plot point, like that's like 
it, like you didn't really need to do that and i think still people it, the movie still would have been like just as successful anyway so stuff like that whereas uh and then i mean we'll get into just uh, his portrayal of elton's sexuality versus how they did that in bohemian rhapsody but th- there's stuff about that but there's i mean there's also just like just how the level of the level of input you can tell that this person had as a producer and whether or not they were there to like be completely like honest about themselves have you seen straight out of compton i have not okay well i mean one of the i actually really like that movie i think it was like in my top 10 for 2015 but like you could tell that uh ice cube and dr dre were producers on that movie so it, it really didn't confront some of the more interesting things that it could have delved into with regard to like the misogyny in their music uh, dr dre actually did have like a history of domestic abuse like there was stuff like that that just like it clearly wasn't in there because those guys were producers it, 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 with bohemian rhapsody i mean like the, the the non-freddie mercury members of queen come off just looking like smelling like roses like they don't do a single thing wrong they are portrayed as like guys that i mean they, they're they're harder on freddie than they are on everyone else even if like the movie probably doesn't isn't honest enough in its depiction of freddie because it wanted to be pg-13 the, one of the i think the big pluses you can say for this movie is that yeah i mean maybe it could have even gone further but you do see elton john at some pretty low lows compared to anything that you see in bohemian rhapsody I think the thing with Bohemian Rhapsody is let's put aside the big, just like they never broke up. Did you think that uh, Freddie Mercury as portrayed by Rami Malek was likable at all? Cause I found him to be the thing that I found that was really hard about Bohemian Rhapsody for me is I don't think it's very charitable towards Freddie Mercury at all. I think it kind of makes him into a jerk pretty much the entire movie. And I don't think it really shows you enough of him being charming or having like, Rocket Man succeeds in a lot of ways because I think it gives you an impression of Elton John as he's self-aware. Of, yeah, self-aware, but charisma. It gives you it gives you the high of the good times before it goes downhill. And I don't think Bohemian Rhapsody gives you that portrayal. So I think it just puts Freddie Mercury into this corner of kind of when he becomes the, like goes to the low points. I just didn't feel that he was oh. i i didn't have the relationship built up with the character over the first hour of that movie to actually really like him well it's funny is that I would, I would actually agree with that though they actually don't spend it, which goes to something that we talked about a little bit before we started recording where that like it doesn't really it, the movie doesn't take its time for better and worse but there are things where it just like keeps it moving and you're actually <laughs> and, but it does so in a way where like it it, it doesn't like leave you feeling short change in some of the in, examples of when it does that and i'd say one of those is when things are going really well because it goes pretty quickly from uh things going really well for elton to like things getting pretty toxic with him and john but at the same time like you do get a pretty good sense of like where things are going great for him whereas things do feel fraught i would say maybe for more bohemian rhapsody i mean part of what i did like about bohemian rhapsody though was that what was those band dynamics i didn't like that they it was stupid to have them like break up and reference a lot of what was going on like saying oh we've been having all these problems where like part of what i had liked about the movie until that point was that it was like uh, i thought it was maybe a fairly realistic depiction of like what a band might be like where you might have petty squabbles but then all of a sudden like the good song wins out and once you actually come upon some really good creative burst you kind of set your differences aside and move on like it never seemed like their problems actually festered to the point where it necessitated a breakup 
which is probably because they never actually did in real life and it just came out of nowhere in the movie uh so like i did like it did seem like oh we saw them like putting together some really cool songs and that was like a cool moment those are some of the cooler moments of movie and rhapsody but as far as them just being a successful band where everything is going great you're right there wasn't a ton of that and I think you bring up a point about how uh, about Queen, how Queen broke up in the movie. And I think there's an interesting angle in which all of those aspects, whether it's the like the the producer in Bohemian Rhapsody insisting that oh no one will ever know the name Queen, or all the things they kind of create later to create this professional turmoil, it's really interesting to me the way Rocket Man completely discards with that. Rocket Man's not interested in Elton John's like. It's interesting his professional career from the angle of John Reed and like that personal relationship. But you never once you get past the initial like Crocodile Rock at the club in L.A., you never really have a question about whether he's going to succeed. It's never that's because he he was such an amazing success at such a young age. Like it just it it happened very fast for him, I guess. I mean, do you think? Do you think it happened that much differently for Queen? Because once Bohemian Rhapsody hit as a song, didn't they have a series of albums that all were bangers at that point? I mean, I guess that's just how things work back in those days where I guess you, you, you could just kind of walk in, like you might just find a ad in the classifieds about uh, music act wanted or whatever. So, I mean, they, they had the thing where the, uh, the Mike Myers character in Bohemian Rhapsody, like is like doubting them and stuff like that, where even I guess, like, I guess like you're saying, like he didn't even like Bohemian Rhapsody when we heard it. And maybe you never have that big of a stretch of them getting doubted in, uh, Elton getting doubted in this movie, but uh, like the, the the first producer that he goes to is his name Dick something. Um, I'm forgetting his name. Yeah, he he gives him a hard time at first, but things happen pretty fast. And I mean, I I, I guess both of them were fairly successful off the bat. And if anything, I think I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it, I guess it wanted to spend its time elsewhere, which I was fine with. No, I completely agree. And I think the reason I bring it up is I think it's fascinating that Bohemian Rhapsody manufactured that plot in a way that it just didn't necessarily, whether it's the band breaking up, whether it's the producer. I think one of the ways the Bohemian Rhapsody fails, in my opinion, is that I think it is trying to do far too many things. And I think there are nuggets of really fascinating introspection or really fascinating plots that because it's trying to do so many things at that level, it just never really has enough time to talk about. So the example I'll give, and this we'll get into a little bit of what we're going to talk about with uh, the kind of like sexuality dynamics and how they tell those is that Freddie Mercury in all our estimations is bisexual. That's kind of our estimation as far as his personality. He dated women, he dated men. Obviously the main relationship in the movie after he breaks up with Mary is to a man, but the movie, there's a really interesting, I love this dialogue where he tells Mary, I think I'm bisexual. And she says back to him, Freddie, you're gay. Right. And I was going to ask I you about that. Like, cause he, so I think that a smarter movie would have actually really dwelled on that because one of the questions I had for the rest of that movie was, did he actually love Mary and, but she didn't believe that he was interested in women and that created attention. Like I really wanted to understand what it's like in that moment to have someone say that to you. And obviously the way we consider like closeted men and the way we talk about them is much more from the perspective of a gay man being like, like in the closet and dating a woman and, Oh, it sucks for her. But what are you going to do? And I think Freddie's situation is a lot more fascinating because I actually think it's a lot less forgiving in terms of the things he does, but I don't think the movie ever really goes there. She says to him later, some of the lines of like, um, it's so hard because it's not even your fault. And I was, I just felt that that was, um, this is the hardest because it's not even your fault. And to me, I thought that was surprising the way it kind of gave him, it forgave that. But 
my bigger point is that I think Bohemian Rhapsody, I think that dynamic, I think the family dynamic is fascinating and it only spends maybe five minutes in the entire movie on it. There's one moment at the end where Freddie comes back with, uh, uh, John, John, I'm forgetting the last name. Um, John Huddle, Jim Hutton, Jim, Jim Hutton, Jim Hutton, where they are, where basically she's like, he's like, we're friends. And I think the mom gets it, but the dad is still very obtuse and, you just don't get the kind of closure and you don't get the kind of resolution of these things. And I don't know if that's because Bohemian Rhapsody, it was just a lot that was shot. And I'd be really curious about the cutting room floor, but I was left very disappointed by the way that I think Bohemian Rhapsody actually has a more interesting story to tell. And I don't think they told it in the way they should have. Right. And I think that's actually a uh, interesting point that you made. Cause I just, since you were talking, I went up back on Freddie Mercury's Wikipedia and I was like, wait, so, is there a definitive answer as to whether he was bisexual or gay? And there really isn't actually like, I think there's just a lot of, there's just a lot of talk on there about how he's always been referred to as both. And, you know, I think a lot of the criticism it received rightfully and and rightfully so to a certain extent was just like, Oh, how like you, you almost wouldn't have known he was gay if you watched the movie because of, and I, and I don't necessarily think like that's, I I actually think that's, I actually think that's an unfair criticism because I think the movie is pretty clear that he's gay. I think the problem with it more is I think it never gives you... Well, it wanted to be PG-13. It wanted to be PG-13, so... That's not even my problem. My problem is not that it wanted to be PG-13. So the first scene you see of Freddie in Bohemian Rhapsody about his queerness is he's at this truck stop, basically. He's on the Mm -hmm. phone with Mary, and it cuts back and forth between basically the trucker kind of looking at him, and they're kind of checking each other out. It's basically, like, cruising. But all you see is the trucker go into the truck, into the bathroom and the door closes. You never see Freddie go after him. You never have any idea of of what actually the intention is there. All it gives you is the idea of, oh, Freddie's interested in men a little bit. And to me, I thought the shocking thing was there are plenty of facts in Freddie Mercury's life. So the best example to me is uh, Kenny Everett, who is the DJ who plays Bohemian Rhapsody. And he's only in the movie for like 30 seconds. And him and Freddie have like a rapport. And it's a little flirty, which was really interesting, but they were really close friends in real life. And they went to out clubbing a lot. They're like, they were like fixtures. They never actually had a relationship, but they were like very close. Like he, uh, Kenny is gay and Freddie was whatever we identify him as, but I actually didn't know much about him, but I guess he died of AIDS too. Yeah, but I think it, there's all these pieces the movie could have used to kind of flesh out the idea of of Freddie as a gay person or a queer person or a bi person, whatever it is. Well, I was going to say, they, think, they, they could, well, my, my point is, they could have just discussed that more. Like, a lot of people were upset that there wasn't, like, more explicit gay sex. But, I mean, uh, I, I guess you don't, if you if you really want to be PG-13 and don't want to get like that, that's fine. But why not delve into that all that stuff more? Discuss what it means to him, to, whether he thinks he's bisexual, whether he's gay, what makes him think either of those things, what do the people in his life think about it? And it just kind of skirted the issue overall. And that's just maybe a way it could have addressed that stuff more and whereas rocket man is just very upfront about it no i completely agree and i think part of that also is i think the movie at least in its conception definitely thinks freddie mercury is bi there's a scene at a party where he kisses a dude and then slaps a girl's butt right after and I, it's very oh, it's right, not right, subtle right. at all but it, i do think the movie at least in its own world thinks that but it doesn't seem to i think my bigger problem is i don't think it has a good conception of what it means for Freddie Mercury. And I don't think it ever gives him an opportunity to be a functioning person in that world. So compared to rocket man, where I actually think, and we need to talk more about the relationship between Elton and Bernie, because that is, it's incredible. But the moment there's a moment early in the movie where, uh, where Elton has just been told, um, 
by the ba- by the band members he's been backing up that um, basically he's he's told that he's a fag is the mm-hmm. the term in there and they're like what are you gonna do about being a fag I think is the quote and for uh, Elton's response is to no um, but that basically the next scene he and Bernie are on a rooftop and talking about it and well, before 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 Bernie. before that Bernie's like are you and he's like does it matter if I am uh, yes and, and then, and, absolutely and then and then but, they have the rooftop scene. No, absolutely. But he tries to kiss Bernie really yeah. quickly. And Bernie's basically like, I, don't, I love you, but not that way. And it, first of all, I think closes the door on that relationship whatsoever, which I actually think is really helpful. It's because a really I good think scene. It's, it's wonderful. And it follows right after they basically spend all night walking around talking after they meet. And it's, it's a very like bromancy, but it's quite wonderful. But you have the question asked and answered, is Elton John gay? Very quickly in the movie. It's not really left dangling. Um, it leads to some other places where I actually think the movie fails more, and we should talk about um, like, like what? his relationship. He has the later scene where he marries a woman. I'm forgetting what her name is. Ren- um, Renata something. Renata. Uh, Renat. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Ren- um, Renat sounds right. But it, it comes at a place where he's clearly struggling with his mother's disinterest in his sexuality and the relationship with John Reed and how that's gone south. But it, that whole sequence reads to me that what I wanted out of that sequence was the, some conclusion afterward of why this happened, or maybe a scene with Bernie, there needed to be some resolution. So basically you start with them in the booth and they kind of have a, a back and forth where he, where she's like, it must be so lonely to be you or something of the sort. And then it leads pretty quickly into them. Like, 30 seconds later, getting married. And then you have that, I think, one the quietest and like one of the most successful scenes in the movie where they're coming out of separate bedrooms. They go down, have breakfast. And makes yourself a screwdriver. A screwdriver with a lot of vodka. Yeah, yes. Um, but it's very quick. But I, And I didn't hate that because what else is there to say about it? But at the same time, I wanted an answer for why, why he did that. What was it? Because the movie seems to make him spiral a lot of points without the build up to it. It just happens very quickly a lot. And this felt like you obviously have the moments earlier where he starts drinking, like just pour, like chugging vodka or where he's going to like all these like sex parties or doing drugs. And they all happen very quickly. And I felt like this marriage to this woman was in that same vein where it was kind of his self-destructive tendencies, but I wanted some explanation for why it never shows him questioning his sexuality earlier on. So I don't, I never understood why he did that. And it felt like it felt so trite the way they dealt with it. While I think that scene is very successful. I felt like with how it fit in the movie, it was one of the most clearly dangling threads where I didn't know what to make of it. Well, at that point he had already, uh, he'd already, uh, he and John had already ended things, but you know, there's not really, there's the thing where John makes him like, you got to like come out to your parents so they know to like to they know the full story so they can uh, handle yep. it right with the press. So they're at that point they're still he's still closeted, I guess. And there's not really a scene where he comes out in the movie to like no. to, to to everyone. Like there is to like the people he's closest to, but as, as far as like all the way through his marriage to it's Renat Renata Blau B B L A U E L. So I'm not let's just stick to Renata. But uh but but like I guess there isn't but like I mean I one of the things I appreciate about it is that like, you know, I I can see why he would feel very lonely. Not only because of just uh feeling that because he is closeted to we don't know when he actually comes out. Like we could look that up, but like the movie doesn't make it that clear like when that actually happens at what point in time where he's like open to the world about it. But on top of that, like it's a pretty solo existence that he leads. You know, I one of the things I liked about Bohemian Rhapsody was like I like seeing that collaborative process. How like even though all these guys play different instruments, they're all capable of like writing songs too, which is one thing that's just unique about Queen. But here, like while it's really cool and it's amazing that like Bernie Taupin's clearly a genius and Elton John's clearly a genius. 
like they literally like he, he he sends him letters with songs and he sits at home and he plays it at the piano by himself he he exists in like uh some pretty high level of solitude whenever he is actually doing the thing he's best at and then in his personal life if he can't fe- just go out and meet people like a normal person like i can see why he would feel lonely and just try and fill that void but like i almost feel like they could have even shown that a little more that scene where like Freddie's just trying to call up Mary and Bohemian Rhapsody. Like that's pretty, a pretty good example of like the loneliness he felt after they uh, separated, and maybe a couple more scenes like that in this movie, plus just like a more of a more maybe a little more discussion about him feeling pressured to stay in the closet after the scenes with his parents. But I mean, I I don't know. I I would still overall say that this movie probably at least did uh, uh, put the sexuality on front street, for lack of a better term, and dealt with it a little more than Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, totally. And I think when we think about the way that Rocketman deals with sexuality, I think a little bit of it is just the fact that I think the problem with Bohemian Rhapsody is that it doesn't really show Freddie Mercury in a functional relationship at any point. The relationship with Paul, to me, he's so creepy from the beginning that you never you never buy into the relationship. I, I personally didn't buy into the relationship at any point. So what, I felt what, like what do you a- what do you think when John Reed first comes on screen in uh, in Rocketman? So the thing about it is that it starts, it's a little weird because he's at the corner of the club where they do the first uh, um, Crocodile Rock sequence. Mm-hmm. And he's little, he's like looking over the edge and it's a little bit, you, you, you get a menacing vibe. But the thing the movie does so well is it does right after that, they have such good chemistry. And you have the entire sequence of them and kimonos and like the romance. And it just, they, it, they work together in a way that almost makes you forget about it. Like I knew that Richard Madden's character was the villain and I was still like, I love this chemistry. <laughs> and part of that is just obviously, and we can talk about the shorter than I expected, but very effective sex scene. But I think part of it is actually I think the more effective one is after that when he's in the studio and uh, John Reed, Richard Madden's character, comes in and the woman who's doing the recording or maybe it's the man, but basically is like, should I go get a pint or like, do you want to do another take? And basically Richard. Well, the the man uh, says that the woman kind of like gives Elton a look like, oh, look at this guy that's coming here for you. But the best part is basically John Reed, uh, Richard Madden's character, goes into the closet and basically mm-hmm. gives him a look and he says, go grab a pint and they go into the closet. And that's the type of thing that I would have loved out of Bohemian Rhapsody is you don't need to show a sex scene. I don't think that's what you need to show intimacy or show closure. I think you need more implication and more, frankly, completion of the loop, because I think part of what I think Bohemian what Rocket Man does really well is I think it shows like jo- Elton John for the most part, as a functioning person for a while, you see the relationship with Bernie, you see the music working, you see him performing and he's really excited. He's still lonely. There's a very weird sequence where he's singing while Bernie Toppin and this, uh, uh, Heather, I believe her name was, but this woman who he meets at the club in LA are like about to go off, have sex in a tent. But I think it's more about his own loneliness, but he's functioning and he's like a very interesting person. And then it spirals out where I, I bought that more. And I like the grounding because my problem with Bohemian Rhapsody largely is I don't, I think it equates queerness with frankly, a lot of promiscuity in a way that I don't think rocket man does. And I also think it just says like, there's a, there's a joke phrase, which is basically like be gay, do crime. And it feels like a little bit that way where it's like being in a relationship with a man, go do drugs, go have sex. And it never makes them Rocketman does the same thing, but it makes them seem fun at first, and then it spirals in a way that I think makes it more relatable and also, I think, a little bit less judgmental. You can speak to this more knowledgeably than I can, but, like, it's obviously a product of the times when they are treating it like that, correct? Like, I mean, the like you're saying, the equating it with promiscuity and more of that, like, that's just more naturally part of what 
I guess would happen when you're dealing with these issues in the seventies. But I guess what you're saying is there's a way to strike that balance better. And uh, right. Absolutely. It's not, it's not wrong to like have that be part of the implication, but like it's, they're telling it in a more full and complete way in rocket man. Is that, would that be a fair statement? I think the difference is I think Bohemian Rhapsody makes the relationship causal. Whereas I think rocket man does a little more of they are happening at the same time, but I think rocket man moves the onus from it just being about being queer to also relationship with John Reed and the toxic nature of that. I right. think that is shown a lot more where I think, and frankly, part of it is the seventies and eighties. And I, th- I think it's also that rocket man feels a little bit less judgmental about that. Like there's that weird scene in Bohemian Rhapsody where Freddie Mercury is throwing a party and all the bandmates and their girlfriends are there. And he's like, let's party. And all the, all the bandmates are like, we have to go home. We yeah, have families. wives and children. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like, it's just so staid and so uninteresting in a way that, you talked about the other bandmates coming out smelling like roses in Bohemian Rhapsody. And I actually think they do it so much that I just didn't buy any of it. I was like, you, you guys made yourself look good. Congrats. But in a way that I actually think rocket man makes Bernie Taupin look incredible in a way I found actually very earnest and believable. Well, now that, but, yeah, think, but also now that I think about it, what you said earlier about them, it just, it shows it as a functional relationship, even if it's not for that long, they do show him and John in like a functional relationship. And that just like gives it more meaning just like, what what he goes through uh, with respect to his journey on his sexuality. Because I'm thinking about it now with Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's like Paul gives him like an unwanted kiss at one point. And other than that, we don't even... But I think... I mean, maybe they I were lovers. Correctly. I mean, I haven't read that a lot about it, but like you never actually like... Uh, it's implied a lot that Freddie's just sleeping around throughout the rest of the movie. And like it's just a thing that they're, we're told is happening. Whereas here, like because we see that Elton is pretty inexperienced when he first comes into contact with John, that it makes sense he would like, have his hooks in him that way and that he'd be able to like stay a part of his life for that long. Whereas it's just like this Paul guy, like you said, he just comes off as creepy to begin with. He's clearly like an awful influence. And uh, we're just told that like Freddie goes along. And we have no concept of why. No, absolutely. And I think a little bit of it also is that the transition of John Reed kind of going downhill, because there's the sequence where they're buying like the paintings and it goes from fun to like a little bit gaudy and a little bit like suspect in my opinion. It's one of the ways we haven't talked as much yet about just how they use the music, but like that's, I actually think that was a, I I wasn't as familiar with Honky Cat as a song, but like when you listen to it and I paid more attention on my second viewing, like it did kind of make sense and that did advance that part of the plot a little bit where he's going into that part of his life where I, who knows how much John actually was a part of it, but he did start being rather ostentatious. Part of that is you have a little bit of the underpinnings of, Oh, this seems a little bit suspect, but the John Reed character becomes abusive in little ways that are very interesting that obviously spirals up to uh, Elton John's suicide attempt. But you have, after he comes out of the phone booth, come out to his mom where John, like oh, yeah. uh, John Reed punches him. You have uh, when he catches him having the poolside blow job before his like family comes over after Elton John tries to commit suicide. Uh, John Reed is basically like, there's a, what's the quote? He's basically like, how could you do this to me? Or like, how dare you do this to me? It's oh, he's like very looking much down like, on him when he's on the stretcher. He, he scolds him in some way, but where the, where you don't yeah. actually hear the words. Yeah. You don't hear, you don't hear the words, but he's, he's, he's clearly judging him. And the thing that I found fascinating about it was the fact that that transition happens slowly. And I actually think that that relationship, one of the places I actually think rocket man kind of fails is it, it takes the same structural approach where it has an event in this case, it's him leaving the Madison Square Garden concert to go into rehab, but it has a clear definite, I'm not talking about past this. And to me, that the flaw in that is he doesn't actually get rid of, 
um, John Reed as his manager for like a few more years. So he's still in that relationship. So it doesn't answer that cycle fully. And I felt like I want an explanation about why he was still employing him. It does a little bit with the contracts, but yeah. clearly that's that arc is but not it's, weird, it's weird how he was they were able to to cut out the his first producer so easily but i guess i don't know if john reed had better lawyers or we just we just don't really know exactly and can we talk about the charisma of charlie rowe as ray williams for a second because i think the early part of the movie obviously you have this wonderful taron edgerton and uh richard madden relationship but like all these other characters around it really like give it this energy like there's this excitement around the first like hour of the movie that i found very infectious and i think it's really interesting to me the way that as those people leave again there's also not resolution there of bringing those people back in or i apologies like it's just surprising to me the way that the stopping point they chose i think makes it very self-indulgent and melodramatic in ways where you spend like 20 minutes of the movie talking with like with his child self singing there's like three full songs of like child elton john that i thought was deeply un over overwrought and then like he hugs his child self at the end and again i was like yeah i mean that whole last scene is very over the top it's very over the top but i do think that the a lot of the characters we have and i think the way the relationships are set up is really successful and i do wish that i mean i i I mean i they acknowledge like they acknowledge how charming charlie rowe was when they they did fire both of them but he's like i really liked ray he's a nice guy (laughs) <laughs> like I even said that I was like yeah like it seemed like they had no problem with him like he was just there along for the ride having a good time and it I think you're right it did it, just having someone right there that just seemed to be having that much fun just being in the movie and being with them for that did it did just help that help, help it accomplish that task of uh feeling like you're with them for the good times like you said that maybe we didn't quite get as much of in Bohemian Rhapsody uh but you, you mentioned that, that's one thing we hadn't talked about and I'm glad you mentioned uh, little Elton because we haven't talked at all about his family and it is uh it is very clear that Elton John does not care for his parents uh oh yeah <laughs> whereas I mean I, I, I hate to keep bringing it back to Bohemian Rhapsody but like ultimately that, that movie kind of comes down on the side of like yeah his parents were fine they just they were just a little iffy about his career choice to begin with I mean Elton John is like uh, as the producer like that's why I thought that like yeah Elton John is being like way more honest than uh these people that, uh, that all the surviving queen members that had the rights for Bohemian Rhapsody is because like uh, I mean like I don't think you shit on your parents like this if like uh just j- and just make it up like you know what I mean like he really really did not like his parents yeah the movie has a definite answer for all of Elton John's problems and it's his parents mm-hmm. and the thing that I found surprising about that was I knew going in that the movie was mean to his parents, but the father figure is trash from the beginning. But the mom it I ends up being found, like worse at the end. It gets worse. <laughs> it gets so much worse when you have the scene where he goes back. He's already famous and he the father has a new family and the two kids and the dad asks him to sign a picture of himself and he tries to sign it to dad. And the, and the dad is basically like, no, this is for my friend at work who actually likes your music. I don't like your music. It's so bad. I wonder if that it's actually the, happened. Like it's very specific uh, encounter. Oh. That felt very, that felt too specific to be made up. Right. But the dad is bad from the beginning. And he like, there's a point where young Elton, he's probably eight, like, is like, dad, can we play this record? And he's like, don't you ever touch my record collection. Right. Um, so dad's kind of an asshole from the beginning. But the mom I found to be, it was like, oh, she's like a wine, wine boozy 50s mom for the beginning i didn't think in the early part she was a little bit dismissive but she wasn't terrible she gets terrible by the end she's a nice enough at the beginning but she's also like too preoccupied with herself to like take him to the freaking royal academy of music for a tryout like that's kind of a big deal and it's like she couldn't be bothered to do that yeah grandma's pretty cool 
So, uh, but yeah, she 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 gets really bad. It's like over the top, and like I, I the that final scene is like like we said that very final therapy scene is like it, it's over the top, but also at the same time like wraps up way too quick because it's like it's it's it, it almost lets his mom off the hook despite how awful that she was. It's like he he's obviously not the movie's not kind to of them, but at the same time they. That that final scene is like making peace with everyone except for John, almost in a way where it's like his mom just like made that whole last her last scene before that like all about how awful her life has been because of it. When right before that, it's like almost uh, a given that he's going to buy them a beach villa. It's like what the fuck has been so bad about your life, lady? Yeah, I think they they play her up in a way that I think is probably I would guess more uncharitable than. I, people are more complicated than the villains like they made those two characters to be. But I also found that. We should talk about the framing device of the movie for a second, because I think that that last scene where the entire movie is him in therapy and my frustration, like the first scene is him basically saying, I'm a terrible person. Here's all the things I am. I'm a sex addict. I'm addicted to all these things, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of cuts back to that bit by bit. But the end, I felt like it would have been more successful if it had been like him sitting at his mother's grave or something like that, or like make it up. Say the parents are dead at that point. <laughs> Who cares? But it felt like, doing the flashback and hugging his like eight-year-old self was a lot. And it, it felt like it let him off the hook in a way where he's just like, I forgive you for being terrible right, to right. me. And I'm like, it's very fast. Like, take some, yeah. It's very fast. And it also, it weirdly doesn't use that cutback therapy model as much as you'd like. For instance, as we talked about earlier with him marrying Renata, the fact that like, that would have been a good place for the cut back there and have him like, be like, I feel really shitty about this. Like I didn't know, like, like I, even a couple sentences, but like there are ways that could have been used more effectively. And it felt, yeah, it's played for laughs. It's like, did it make you happy? Yeah. It's like, well, no, I'm gay. And then that's it. Well, also, can you imagine if you were in group therapy and like a one person talks this much you'd just be like, okay, egocentric a little bit, but it just, that device to me, and this is probably a function of my age and like I have my I don't have experience with Elton John and like drugs in the 80s, but it seems like it wants you to hate Elton in the beginning. And I just my image of Elton John is not that. So it, it almost felt very hollow where he was like, I'm a bad person. And I was like, maybe, but it it seemed a little bit overwrought and a little bit too theatrical for me. And it didn't buy me into being like. Like, if he'd made that same speech, like, a little more mellow or a little bit less, like, angry, I feel like it would have worked. But to me, I felt like the framing device was one of the weak points where I just didn't like well, it. it's not a framing device in it, but we did talk a little bit about A Star is Born before we started recording it. <laughs> they, I mean, there are scenes in rehab in that movie, but, like, that movie, I think, takes the time when it has uh, Jackson have the discussion with the, the older therapy leader, like, one-on-one or the scene where Allie comes to rehab and they talk about just like what his addiction means. And I don't, and they have, they spend like, like it feels like they spend just as much time in rehab, even though just uh, total, even though it's not, it's not chronological in rocket man, mm-hmm. they spend just as much time there, but it's more just like him talking about stuff that we're about to see. It's not really going any deeper than like him kind of just talking about what's going on in his life it's like that's the narration uh framing as opposed to just like really really going deep on like what his addiction uh means and what his problems truly truly are other than like saying yeah my family fucked me up no absolutely and i think part of that also is the movie clearly didn't feel confident in its ability to show the repercussions of those events because it felt the need to show all of the things about his family being so terrible because i feel like if it had a better way to do that in showing 
what it had done to him later or like kind of like having those scenes and talking about them, it almost might've been more successful. But I do think the therapy, it's not very introspective. And I feel like that's one of the flaws of Taron Edgerton as in the movie as a whole is it's just not, it's not asking the hard questions about how do I fix this? It just kind of is like, I'm spiraling and everyone's terrible to me. And I do, I wish it had taken a step back a little more. And that might be just a function of Elton John's involvement in the movie. I think that's very possible, but it definitely, it definitely paints Elton John as a victim is what I would say. Yeah. Ideally, um, ideally people would never have any say in, uh, or I don't want to say that people would, uh, people, uh, subjects of biopics would not never have final cut. They should obviously yeah. get a get a say, get get to be in the room, but they should, probably shouldn't have a say in final cut. And I give him credit because I, I, I did read a little bit about it, and it seemed like he really did actually want it to be rated R. Elton John himself, which is part mm-hmm. of the delay in getting it made. So props to him for like being willing to not be quite as vain as other people might be in a similar situation and allowing it to happen. But there are certainly ways in which it's like it could have even gotten deeper into his psyche. And, uh, it, it, it probably didn't, but you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, it still yeah. ha- handled this stuff fairly well, given his level of involvement is what I will say. Like some of that, I mean, the drug stuff does get really heavy. I mean, like you, you, I don't even think you, I mean, I, you, I think you can have drug use in a movie without it automatically being rated R. So I think there could have even been a little more of that in uh bohemian rhapsody and they just didn't even want to go there whereas like you see him doing cocaine to the point where his nose is bleeding or you know yeah and i want to be clear that i don't i don't think the movie paints elton john as like like it's not easy on him and that it shows him doing a lot of like bad things i think it's more that uh, all the key beats in the movie are very much his own agency it's him choosing to commit try and commit suicide or it's him leaving the stadium to go get help or like there's a lot of places where he's just like i am the driver of my own train which he is a massive pop star so that's fine but i will say one thing i did love about the relationship to the therapy session is the the way the time moved of the movie like Bohemian Rhapsody very much uses, oh, we're in this time, and then now we're forward five years. It skips a lot, and it kind of does moments, whereas I like the fact that you like Elton John's character loses track of time in the movie, and there are these skips forward. And one of my favorite parts of it actually is, you've seen Game of Thrones, and they talked about in the series finale, Beard Time, where you have the jump forward, and they all grow beards, and you're like, it's been a while. They kind of use baldness time in this movie, where you can kind of tell when you are based on where Elton John's hairline is, which I thought was kind of interesting. Well, he lost his hair fairly earlier, started bald, like losing his hairline fairly young. So I don't... I don't know exactly like what the timeline is on that, but you're right in that the movie isn't as like strictly adhering to like a direct timeline of here is when this happens, here is when this happens, and you're in this year now, you're in this year now. There's there is a I think there's a little more of that in Bohemian Rhapsody, but one of the we we, we talked at the beginning about just how uh, you know Bohemian Rhapsody was pretty problematic and like the stuff it changes, whereas like some of the bigger things that Rocket Man changes are things that I don't mind it fudging. Like it fudged like the years that songs got released. And which I think that that's like not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. And but like, you know, he didn't sing Crocodile Rock at the Troubadour, but I love that Troubadour sequence. I think that was like visually worked for me better than any of the visuals, which we can uh, run through before we finish up. But like yeah. also he um, – the, the, the Benny and the Jets performance happens like right after uh, Bernie says, I'm going to take a break. So I thought that that almost implied that like 
oh, that means this was one of the songs. Maybe he worked on this one without Bernie, but Bernie wrote Benny and the Jets. So, yeah. like, I, you know, at, at some point, like, I thought maybe that was the mark. They were using those as markers, but they really weren't. It's just like they're just going to these uh, musical performances. And I think some people are talking about how, like, oh, it uses – and you did a good job, I think, earlier breaking down how, like, these are, that these are there for the spectacle. They're not there, like, directly from the plot where this per- person is giving this performance on Saturday Night Live or something like that because that's where their career is. Like, it's more here for the spectacle in a traditional musical sense. Let's all break out in the song type thing. But I think it's more than that. And some people are giving it credit for just, like, using the song to, like, uh, move along the plot. And I th- almost think it's more that it's moving this using the songs to set the tones and 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 the way it frames those songs and the way it shoots them and the way it sets up um these performances and uh like benny and the jets is like done in a, a fairly haunting way more so than like you would ever think about it when you hear it at a piano bar or something like that and i thought that was kind of cool the movie just like used these different songs at different points to just like in like rocket man if you listen to it pretty closely that is kind of a song about like someone that is feeling alone at least that's how i read it when i read the lyrics and it, that, so i did think it worked out well that they played that through the whole suicide sequence but like i don't know i just thought like the, the movie wasn't being so strictly chronological like you said but still like used the songs to like reflect how he was feeling at that point in life if nothing else no i agree and i think we should talk about it just like as a musical biopic because right. i think yeah. i think part of elton john's discography that i think makes this movie able to do that is i don't Elton John has quite a few albums that are quite successful, but they're in a relatively narrow period of time, and they're not so stylistically divergent that moving those things around a year or two or changing them really makes that much of a difference in terms of what you're doing. Whereas if you think about Queen and just how many different styles and how different albums reflected those different styles, it'd be like doing an Arcade Fire biopic and putting something from like the suburbs back when it was like funeral. Like you just can't do it because they're so different. And I think part of what actually works with this movie is the way it actually uses the music to set tones and to set to set uh, periods and the fact that only a few songs are performances and i think that actually really works the the downside to that and this is the part where i am not a hardcore elton john fan i know a lot of these songs i've listened to them i grew up with them but like i i don't have all the song names memorized and the way the movie uses them in and out as setting for certain things or does like a bar or like a minute of them it's very hard for me to put together exactly which song was exactly where for a lot of them, because I don't think it doesn't give you sing-along moments. It doesn't give you the full song. And a lot of times it'll use them for setting um, in a way that I think actually as a movie is great. I think as a musical is a lot less successful in terms of giving people, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, what they want. Well, yeah, I, I'd probably agree. Like it, it just, it didn't even show the full entirety of a lot of the songs. Uh, I think it showed more of it for Crocodile Rock than any of them, and that might be part of why I like that sequence so much, even if I think the visuals of it are pretty just incredible. I mean, Mm it's really cool watching him float up with the piano and all the crowd float up and stuff like that. But, like, whether it be, like, Benny and the Jets or, like, Rocket Man, like, you're so distracted by everything going on around when they play Rocket Man with him committing suicide and there's a little baby at the bottom of the pool. Wait, wait, it was Rocket... It was was also still Rocket Man and the the Dodger Stadium thing where he actually shoots off in space. Yes, it's Rocket Man until he's on the plane. Right, so it's like... Because he blasts off, yeah. Right, so it's like there's so much other stuff going on around one of his most iconic songs. It's almost hard to take in the song at the same time. So I think you're right. It's like it's not even focusing on the on the music quite as much. So it's harder to say it like works as in like as like a musical. Whereas like for all Bohemian Rhapsody's flaws, I think 
it was probably largely successful because people really like Queen songs and you got to just go hear Queen songs played really loudly at you. And so we should talk about Rocket Man for a second because I also think part of what makes the movie actually less successful in certain ways is how complicated the lyrics are. And that to me, Rocket Man is a fascinating song where I went back and was reading through them. And I actually think the phrase, I'm a rocket space man is really fascinating because you think of rocket man as one word. And I think of like a space man or like something very controlled, but like an adventurer, but I'm a rocket is actually a really interesting phrase because it's almost like it's a little more chaotic. It's like, he's like a firecracker going off and like, I'm going to go far, but like it has a lot more chaos to it, but you don't have the time to think about that. Like you're just, you're going through these very fast sequences that it's almost more about mood than lyrics. And I think that so, makes it a little bit, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying the rocket, rocket man burning up his burning out his fuse up here alone is a. I think that's like almost that jumps out to me more than anything on the page. Like I, I though, I, though I would agree with you. Like maybe some of the other lyrics are, they're, 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 you could take or leave for whatever. Like, but like that 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 does stand out to me in the context of like his life. Even if you know there is a criticism to be had. I don't know if it was what they said on the. No, they didn't say it on the big picture. I was listening to a different podcast about it. But like, it's like. You don't want to read too much into this stuff when he didn't write the lyrics. And I, I was like, I mean, like I knew a lot of Elton John's songs. No, I, I, I knew the hits. I guess I don't want to say a lot of his songs. But like I actually didn't know who Bernie Taupin was. To be completely honest, going into the movie, so it did, it, it, it did actually catch me off guard a little bit that I, I had assumed that he wrote a lot of this stuff. So it, it does put it in a little different perspective when you're thinking about it because I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of people that you do have biopics about, like they did write their own lyrics, and it's like, how much of this can we really like? Uh, how much of this can we really just uh, attach onto his life? or And then how much of that is us projecting too much? I don't know. No, that's totally fair. And that brings up a really interesting point of like how much of this is just stitched on. And I think part of that is a credit to the emotional range of the songs that Elton John and Bernie Taupin oh, have sure. put together in that there's so much there that you can stitch a lot together. But I do think, and actually that actually makes a good argument for why the timeline, maybe you shouldn't worry as much about that because if Bernie Taupin's writing these lyrics and Elton John's putting the music to them, tonally he has a lot of say in that but the words are the words so that's actually a really good point like he, he's creating the tone for like a lot just by that and i hadn't even thought about it that way yeah so i i do think that's really interesting but i i still think that part of what i find fascinating about human rhapsody is just the way the songs interact with what they're doing and the way the songs are also able to say something about what they're going through. Like I think of the, I want to break free and the cross dressing and the way the cross dressing influences the way he's perceived where like we, when we think we haven't talked too much about is just like the gender identity here, which I think is really interesting because both movies kind of dispense with it really quickly in a way that is really fascinating for the time period. So Freddie Mercury, like the first scene with Mary is shopping for women's clothes. He wears these very flamboyant things, but it doesn't really care about it that much afterward. And the same thing with Elton John, he uses these masks to like, to cover up his opinion on things, but it, doesn't really care. It's not too upset about them until you get to a sequence like I want to break free where the music comes back in and you, you're able to use. Well, I do wonder. Cause I mean, songs. well, no, yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad you brought that up because like just the costumes and the flamboyance are like a very big part of his act. And it's just kind of a given. That's what, that's what he is. Like, you know, I mean, it, and it is interesting that like Bernie does kind of question him on it, but he doesn't push him too much. He's, he's just not sure. Like, is this really you? And he, I mean, they have the big thing where he's yelled at him. People don't pay to see Reginald Dwight. They pay to see Elton John. But it's like they don't delve too far into why that is Elton John. Like what what made him feel the need to do it that way? And I, I, some people have talked a little bit about it. And 
uh, maybe that was what they talked about in the big picture, what I was thinking about, where I think they talked about the fact that, you know, like, uh, I, I, and I don't know if you had any objection to it. Like, I mean, uh, Taron Edgerton's like, in a, he's, he's an objectively handsome guy. I mean, uh, whether, whether, whether or not he's, he's like anyone's type, like he is a traditional handsome fellow for lack of a better term. And like Elton John's like, Oh, not. And so, so like, what was that part of it? Was he just trying to like, just cover it up? Cause he maybe wasn't totally happy with the way he looked and they, they didn't really delve into that at all, you know? Yeah. And I think there's, I mean, there's obviously the really interesting elements of like both Elton John and Freddie Mercury completely changed their names. So we're basically like, I want to get rid of who I am. Mm-hmm. But I also think the casting issue with Taron Edgerton is fascinating because I think we all know him from the Kingsman movies. We all know like in the first Kingsman movie, which I watched, I want to say not that long ago, um, there's a scene where they're in like the barracks and it basically turns into a pool and he and one other very attractive man are both shirtless swimming around and it's, it's wonderful. But I think of him as very attractive. But in this movie, I think part of it is I actually think, and we talked about Charlie Rowe, who I think is very attractive, but also Richard Madden. You have all these beautiful people around him. We're actually outside of the only time I really thought Taron Edgerton was attractive in this movie was during that one sex scene. He's shirtless and he's clearly more fit than Elton John has ever been in his life, right. at least. Um, so you're just like, OK, you like you didn't like completely get rid of all of this. But for the most part, I think they do doll him down. And I didn't find it distracting. I think within a movie setting, I mean, obviously, there are plenty of examples of actresses and actors like deglamming themselves for different roles. But I actually thought this was pretty successful, and I didn't really okay. mind it. Yeah, he, he did. He actually, um, he actually had done it. It was funny. Is I don't know if you he did he did uh, Eddie the Eagle with Dexter Fletcher. I don't know if you ever saw Eddie the Eagle, but he plays the British ski jumper that isn't was never actually that good at ski jumping, but just made the Olympics because Britain didn't have anyone else that wanted to ski jump. And it's a, it's a perfectly charming movie, and that's when he first worked with Dexter Fletcher. But like they actually made like that was and that came out after the first Kingsman movie, but before the second. And like they did make him look like a weirdo goofball, not like tr- traditionally handsome or whatever for that. But he's also like standing next to Hugh Jackman, like who's like looks like Hugh Jackman for the whole movie. So maybe that helped on top of that to like make him not look as handsome. But like you know, I, I so I wasn't that didn't bother me too much. Like I thought they did a good job of just like making him look like what I think Elton John looked like back then. Even if I haven't watched a lot of old Elton John footage, so that didn't, that didn't bother me as much. But I think part of them being able to do that was like. Uh, I mean, aside from the hair and was like, was just like dressing him up in the weird stuff. And, you know, they, they never really got at that that much. They, I mean, it could just be like, maybe I'm thinking too much about it, you know, like maybe just like some, some, uh, queer men might like obviously just uh want to dress up like that and they even kind of set it up early with him like looking at dresses with his mom and his dad getting really mad at him about that so it's not like that comes out of nowhere but like it certainly it was just such a big part of his public persona that you know they they could have discussed it a little more but again it is pretty impressive this movie accomplishes all that it does in exactly two hours uh you know a lot of biopics like rely on a much longer runtime and Two hours, considering it spends twenty minutes with eight-year-old Elton. Um, I, I actually like the kid that played like thirteen-year-old Elton. I, oh, I, I could have done without baby Elton. I, I thought the kids, I thought the actors were fine. I didn't have any problem with it. It just dwelled a lot. But I, I agree with you on timing. And I think the other part of it is that I do think you need Elton John to be less attractive because I think it explains the way he lets John Reed treat him, and I think it explains 
it also explains the excitement to begin with. Because have you done any? Have you done any? Have you done any research on whether uh, the real John Reed is anywhere near as attractive as Richard Madden, <laughs> or was? I have no <laughs> idea. But Littlefinger plays him in Bohemian Rhapsody, and I still <laughs> I think like Littlefinger is not that unattractive. I'm forgetting the actor's name. Um, Alfie Alfie a- Allen, a- I think. A- Aiden Gillen. Alfie Allen's the guy. Aiden that, a- Alfie Allen's also in Game of Thrones. Though. He's the guy that plays Theon. Oh, too many names. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. But I, I would assume he's not unattractive. But I do think, at least the way the movie portrays it, there is the excitement of, oh, someone I find attractive is interested in me. And it's like, it's almost, it's satisfying for its own way, but it also like lets you get too attached in a way that I would buy El- like a, a young Elton John who's still kind of figuring all this stuff out um, would let someone kind of pull all these moves and like use him in a way. Um, because I mean, John Reed's character does pretty early the like power move takeover of being his manager and stuff like that. And that's back when, as far as Elton's perspective, I think is our things are still very good on their, on right. their side. So it, it explains quite a bit of that. And I do think if they had done a worse job with deglamming him or like making him look like attractive, I think it wouldn't have worked as well. So I do buy the asymmetry of that relationship and the power dynamic there in terms of like their attractiveness. One weird thing I thought I found when just like doing research though, for the, about like Elton John's life was that John Reed's actually three years younger than him. Uh, uh, which is, which is like wild. Like it, it it felt like an older man, like preying on a younger guy and like John Reed, like it's just like a very interesting story that he has regardless of like, how evil he is but like guy was born in like 1949 and like that troubadour performance is like in like 1970 like he like was like already like a, an accomplished music manager like 21 years old like doing big things which is very odd that like he was able to accomplish so much at, like such, such a young age um but- i want the john reed biopic honestly i think that would have maybe be more interesting than either of these movies are in terms of he's taken a hit in both of these but talk about a fascinating person who yeah led- somehow like be with two acts that are that big like become big parts of their stories it's pretty crazy and again going back to bohemian rhapsody and like a little bit of the i would say queer washing of freddie mercury is the fact that that you i would have never have guessed just seeing bohemian rhapsody first that john John Reed was gay it just never mentions it. oh yeah i i didn't know i did not make that connection yeah so it's it's very interesting the way that you have these characters that kind of intersperse but i just think it's he's quite a fascinating person i think richard madden is wonderful i think he's really i don't know if he does everything he could with the role but i think he sells all the beats and i think it's a little bit of a in the same way i think the parents in this movie are very baseline villainous and don't really have a lot of range to them i think they do that a little bit with him too where he's super charismatic and charming and then becomes evil and is evil um and he does that transition well but i do wonder how much like i wonder what else a, a different movie would have done with that role yeah, so I, th- I feel like we've talked actually more about Richard Madden than we have about Taron Edgerton. But did you have any other? Did you have any other thoughts on any of the performances before we finish up? Like, just any other things that like jumped out to you that you were like, "Yeah, I really liked what that person did." I want to give a shout out to them. Uh, Jamie Bell should win all the awards. I love Jamie Bell. Yeah, he was um, really he good. Sells- he just there's a charisma to him and the you can't fake the chemistry that he and Taron Edgerton have. It's it on if the movie were structured a little differently and it were the, that relationship, I think that would be a fascinating movie. And I think it's a relationship that you don't see on screen very often. I think it's exceptionally well done. Have have you seen Jamie Bell in anything else? I could not. I've seen his face before and I could not think of anything I've seen him. Yeah, in. I've actually never seen Billy Elliot, which is like what he's like 
it's kind of when he first became like really well known. I, I, but like, I mean, I have seen him in like other stuff, just but, like not like anything where I think he really struck me like he did in uh, this movie. You know, he, he he you know he's married to Kate Mara, and they met making the Doomed Fantastic Four movie. There's that. He was in the movie. Maybe it's Fantastic Four. That would be sad, but maybe it's I've seen it before in Fantastic yeah, Four. Yeah, you know, he was in. He was in. I guess he had a role in Snowpiercer, though I can't really remember it that well, which is an awesome movie. He was in Jumper with uh, the Hayden Christensen, Rachel Bilson vehicle, and yeah, not, not not a ton else that I personally like really know him that well from. Like, I mean, so I mean, this makes me more excited to like watch him do other stuff. But yeah, I mean, he's been around for a while because Billy Elliot actually was like a pretty big deal. It was just something that like I missed. That was like his debut, and that was almost twenty years ago. Now it came out in two thousand. Yeah. Uh, I got nominated for three Oscars. People like know who he is, but like I think yeah. I hope he's he's actually thirty six years old. So like hopefully he still has a lot of time ahead of him to do other cool stuff. Um, you know, one thing I'll say about Taron Egerton is I mean I I I've, I go pretty. F- I don't want to say I go far back with him because he hasn't been around that long, but like I've seen almost all of his movies because there aren't that many of them. Like I saw Testament of Youth, which is like an Alicia Vikander uh, vehicle where she played this like famous pacifist woman, but like it wasn't that good of a movie. It focused way too much on the men, but like he was really good in that and Kingsman. It was came out pretty close together and I liked Eddie the Eagle. And but, like, I mean, I really did think he kind of leveled up here and I, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Like he does sing the own so- his the, the songs and it, you don't feel like it loses that much because of it. If you go listen to like an Elton John version of any of these songs right after seeing the movie you'll notice the difference but like he pulls it off really well like that could have gone it, it could go wrong in the wrong hands I wasn't shocked because I saw Sing the animated movie that where he he sang I'm still standing here in that and then Elton John was in Kingsman too so I don't exactly know where the idea of him becoming Elton John for the movie came up exactly but I was really impressed. I was especially impressed in the scene where he goes back and sees his dad later in life. Like, there's a scene where you see him tearing up for a second very quickly. Yeah, in the car after, yeah. Well, no, even when he's still in the house, before I think he signs the thing, and he just sees the kids around his dad. Like, he starts, his eyes start getting red, and I guess that might not be totally natural when they pull that off, but he did a good job of making me think it was. And I was just really impressed with, like, his entire performance throughout, and I really liked it. But, yeah, I mean... He's surprisingly... He's surprisingly at his best in these like quiet moments because there's that like in that one there's also he has a line there that's along the lines of um, I'm glad you took the most of your second chance oh, yeah. and he does it he does it very quietly but you that entire living room scene is heartbreaking mm-hmm. and it's very well done it's very quiet in a way that I there are, I think there's also the scene where he comes out to his mother and you just kind of see his face crumble as she oh, says yeah that when he's in the phone book the phone booth I mean just like you could see all the emotions going through him for sure. Yeah. And I, I think he's really good in those moments. Um, I am curious your opinion on whether you think this movie has any chance at Oscars. I mean, I don't it, think it, so. It, but, but we said the same thing about Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's almost more that like, even if I think this is a better movie than Bohemian Rhapsody, it just seems like are all the Oscar voters going to want to go back to that? Well, again, like they're going to be like, Oh, we just did that with the music thing. But I mean, at the same time, they might just be like, Oh, people gave us a lot of shit for voting for Bohemian Rhapsody they could go either way maybe they'll be like they seem to like this one better maybe this is like a chance to give it a makeup like it just seems wild that like we're gonna have remy malik win the oscar for lip singing and wearing funny teeth and and taron edgerton's gonna actually give you a pretty good approximation of what elton john sounds like and i mean I, they, he obviously had to rely on a lot of different costume type of stuff but like 
you know, I, I don't know. I just think it's a better performance. And I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm demanding he win an Oscar because Robbie Malik won an Oscar. And it feels a little premature at this point in the year to like really speculate too much because we haven't seen the majority of the movies that are going to get the Oscar nominations. It's just not that point in the year yeah, yet. But like, absolutely. I mean, like it, unless there are like five other performances that really blow me away, I'll, I'll be upset if he doesn't get recognized. But I'm not going to count on it just because when you give that many awards to a a musical biopic that shares so much DNA that with this one, like it's hard to see them like not just moving on to other things, you know? No, absolutely. And I also think part of it is that I think this movie is more complicated. And I also think, and we don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do think just the way that best picture voting happens favors a movie that has a small core of like very diehard, like screw the haters. I want to vote for this. And the hard part for him, honestly, is I do think actually, the singing, I think some of his worst moments in the movie are, if not singing, they are the more active, like outward moments. And I do think, I think Rami Malik gets away with because he's not lip syncing. I do think he gets away with the performance almost a little more. The only thing that does make the movie better is his lips are actually with the music. Whereas watching Bohemian Rhapsody, his lips are off several times. Um, they just don't line up perfectly. And it like takes away from the experience in a way that I didn't love i didn't i I didn't necessarily catch that but i i i I like the point you made about this movie being more complicated because i think maybe this is is easier for a movie like bohemian rhapsody that maybe doesn't it's not going to be as challenging it's easier for people to just embrace and love and have a loud groundswell of support that maybe this one won't have even if the critics uh like it more uh uh but yeah i I mean i think that we've pretty well covered it did you have any other final thoughts anything we didn't touch on any other final points you want to make before we sign off uh I don't think especially I the only thing I do think about this movie that I'll say briefly is kind of how it fits into queer cinema, because I do think it's really interesting to have this movie, especially where his sexuality is such a significant part of the plot. But really, a lot of his spiraling is more about the romance with John Reed. It's not it's not in the same way if you think about like Moonlight, where the entire plot is driven by like having to come out and coming to terms with that. I think this one he spirals around it, but it's more about the people and the way they respond to it. I don't think he's ever in doubt about it. And I think it'll be interesting to see when people think about like queer films, do they think about this film as being central to that? Or is this much more, I still think his legacy is going to be as a biopic of Elton John and the the queer aspect as much as central it is to the plot. I still think it's going to be an afterthought as people talk about it. Yeah. I think maybe it works better as a queer film if they did what I was mentioning earlier, where it's like you, you kind of discuss. They they talk a little bit more about whenever it actually is he's planning on coming out. Because like, regardless of whether or not he is queer, like I one thing I do think is kind of interesting, and you know I don't think there've been a lot of movies or things in popular culture just about like just two famous people in a relationship, like a movie where someone's playing an actor and they get together with an actress or something like that. I mean, I mean, you know, like, uh, in, I, I mean, I really, I mean, a star is born is one of my favorite movies of last year, but that was just like, that's a movie. It's like this guy just like yeah. happens to like walk into a drag bar and like meet someone like that, th- that doesn't really happen. But at the same time, like celebrities get together all the time, but like, how does that even work? You know, I guess and if, if they don't meet on set, I guess they might like, you know, just get meet through meet through mutual friends. I don't really know. We don't see how that works that often portrayed anywhere. But it's like probably pretty hard to like if if you don't meet your significant other when you're a famous actor. If you don't meet them making a movie, like it's probably pretty hard to date. Like I think Charlie Theron has actually been kind of like, kind of 
uh, candid about that, just like in interviews and stuff about how like she's single right now. It's like, how, how does someone go about dating Charlize Theron? You know, uh, I, I mean, I, and I really love Longshot, but like, it's 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 just a, a weird, uh, it's just a funny story about how like the Secretary of State dates a speechwriter she once knew. Like, how really how does one date Charlize Theron? It's like, how does Elton John find someone when he's literally like the most famous singer in the world, but he's also like closeted? Like, I feel like that could, the movie could have gone down that rabbit hole. Fine, I praise it for being two hours. But I would have been just as happy with the movie overall if it had been two hours and 20 minutes and they'd like delve more into that stuff, too. So I would have I, I agree. And I would have loved if the movie had spent the extra five minutes to show him in a functional relationship at all. Right. Because having having, having having that and then losing it like that fuels all the isolation that leads to his downfall, probably. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just surprising in the way that both Bohemian Rhapsody and um, Rocket Man have the clue that protagonists end up in like serious monogamous relationships to whatever extent Freddie Mercury is, but serious relationships later in life. And it doesn't show that at all. Outside of like, outside of the relationship with Jim, um, which is from three minutes at the end, there is nothing in rocket man. It just shows in the slideshow at the end of the movie that he eventually dates someone. And to me, that would have been nice to, instead of just being like, I'm leaving, rehab to actually show him functional at some point i would yeah, like that they, i mean i don't know i really don't know what his personal life was with like relationships uh until he met his ultimate partner slash husband but like that happened so late in life for him like i think he got married to that guy like when he was like like in his 60s and the other guy was like in his 40s or whatever i think he's like 15 years older than his husband like they, they would have had like to at least get to the his ultimate life partner like they would have had to have like had a different actor play him um so but like you know like they could have like stayed more in the part where things were good with John or something like that uh, longer than they so did. He, Even if we did, like so we said, we did buy how John got his hooks in him. So he started dating David Furnish in 93. Oh, I didn't realize so, it was that early. Yeah, the movie actually um, does get pretty close to that year. Yeah, because it shows it in the final slideshow of he met his partner and they've been together for 25 years okay. or however long they've been. So it shows it, but it, it. I think I think one of the flaws of both movies is I don't think they give us any baseline of them being in a functional relationship to then bounce it off of. I actually think rocket man does do that a little bit because I think the relationship with Bernie shows him like that he can have a functional relationship with someone. Whereas Freddie doesn't have that same like close person in his life outside of Mary, but that relationship's so much more fraught. And I think that relationship buoys what otherwise might've been worse, but I do wish you gave a little bit of, even if it was just like the epilogue of, Oh, and this is how it happened. But I think a few minutes of that would have been really nice. Right. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate you take, being so generous with your time because we've uh, talked this movie to death. Uh, yeah. And I, I, I feel like there's even a lot more about his life that we could have gotten to, but it's late and I'm tired. So we probably, we probably, that we, is fair. We, we probably, probably got to wrap this thing up. I'm impressed that we went as long as we did this late at uh-huh. night because we're recording at like 11.15 right now. So uh, before we sign off, John, is there anything you'd like to promote? Because this is the part of the podcast where I normally do that, whether it be a, a Twitter or a letterbox or something where people can find anything you want them to find. Uh, I have a Twitter. It's um, JL, and then my last name is P-U-L-I-C-E. Um, I would love to tell you I have a letterbox, but I am not good enough about that, so I won't worry about it. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, well, mine is uh, at Josh Chernovoy, as usual, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I, on both Twitter and Letterbox. The podcast has its own Twitter now, Rewind Movie Pod, so follow that. Everyone, thanks for listening. Coming up next, we'll probably have a podcast on godzilla king of the monsters and uh if not then definitely on uh late night and men in black 
I, uh, international, I think is what it's called. I, yes. Right? Yeah. They, they, they've had, they, this is, I'm excited for the reboot, but like they've had so many of these movies now, I couldn't remember the exact name. So uh, lots of summer movie stuff like still coming. So plenty of those things to get to. Going to have some guests that I'm uh, very excited about. So everyone stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time.